Today on The Matt Walsh Show, Elizabeth Warren uh, makes an attempt at being relatable, and the results are interesting. We'll talk about that. Also, the pro-abortion left uh, has made another disturbing attempt to indoctrinate children, and we're going to discuss that as well. Finally, many conservatives have been rather obsessed with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Is that obsession backfiring? I would say yes, and I'll explain why today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, it's uh, good to be with all of you today. Hang on a second. I'm going to grab me a beer very casually. Um, uh, say, um, did y'all happen to catch that uh, big sporting match over the weekend? I, I tell you what, when... When the star player got that score at the end of the game, I just about went crazy. I jumped up and I started slapping hands with all of my ethnically diverse friends. And we all said, yes, go sports. And it was just, um, it was just, anyway, I'm just shooting the breeze. I guess I confess I'm a bit jazzed today by that Elizabeth Warren video. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but Elizabeth Warren is trying to be relatable to the common man, you know, uh, and and so she did an Insta chat um, internet video where she stopped at the beginning of the video to uh, drink a beer, and you know she made sure to film herself drinking a beer so that everyone would see that Elizabeth Warren drinks beers, and man, it was the most relatable thing you will ever see. In fact, I was at the bar um, when I heard about it. This young fellow sitting next to me, he pulls out his cellular telephone. And he says, hey, everybody, check out this video clip. Elizabeth Warren is just like us. And I looked at it, and sure enough, uh, she's there throwing back an old brewski, as the kids like to say. So, look, I'll just say this, okay, at, at the beginning. I'm a conservative, um, and, and that's no secret. But but I've, I've got to admit to any Democrat who is listening, Elizabeth Warren is a dynamic politician. I, I She is an absolute star. Frankly, as a conservative, I am terrified. I'm petrified at the prospect of her running for president in 2020. Uh, it just, it terrifies me because nobody can connect with the average American like Senator Warren. We have never seen a political figure who resonates, especially with the young, the way that Warren does. You know, I forgot to mention my favorite part of that video, um, is uh, th the best part is when she brings her husband into the shot and she actually says to her husband, thank you for being here, and then pats him on the back. Um, to her, She says that to her own husband in their own kitchen. Now, if that does not qualify as natural human dialogue between two married people, then I don't know what does. In fact, it reminds me of my own wife, who um, every morning before I leave for work, she always shakes my hand and says, uh, please, please stay in touch. It's just that's the way... Right, like that's the way married people talk to each other. We talk to each other like like we are, um, uh, you know, you, a wife talks to her husband like she's a game show host greeting a a uh, you know a, a contestant, like Pat, Pat Sajak when he's interviewing the contestants during Wheel of Fortune. That's just that's how we talk to each other, right? It's totally normal. If Warren gets the nomination, I I'm gonna have to switch political teams. Th this is just my confession right now, okay? And I'm not alone in that. Elizabeth Warren is just that magnetic. Think about it. Any old politician can try to earn points with minorities by claiming to be partially a minority. 
But who besides Warren would have the tenacity and the courage um, to take a DNA test and prove that they are actually a tenth of a tenth of 1% Native American or maybe Mexican or something in that general ethnic vicinity. I, I, I mean, good luck winning even one minority vote if Elizabeth Warren is your opponent, okay? Because rest assured that minorities do not feel at all degraded or insulted or demeaned when you try to earn their support by taking a DNA test. I, 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 and I know that because my great uncle's niece's um, best friend's friend was married to someone from the Pacific Islands. So, you know, I, I, I'm basically Hawaiian, um, so I, can, I think I can speak to these kinds of things. This woman is formidable. That's all I'm saying. She scares me even more than a third Hillary Clinton term scares me. Speaking of which, uh, I thought Hillary Clinton was the most charismatic and genuine politician in American history. But then along comes Elizabeth Warren, and it's, uh, look, please, Democrats, don't nominate her, okay? Uh, and definitely don't put Warren and Clinton on a ticket together because then you'll win all the votes and you're not going to leave any votes for anyone else. And it's just not fair. So have mercy on us, okay? And please don't nominate Cory Booker either. Or, um, or, or Bernie Sanders, the elderly white socialist who just bought his third house, a $600,000 vacation home. I, he could win 70 million votes easy. So don't nominate any of these people, Democrats. You would crush us, and it and I think it should be a fair fight. Um, so give us a chance at least. Be good sports about it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'll take off my sarcasm hat now. Yes, I did just mime taking off an actual invisible sarcasm hat. Uh, but we'll just move past that. On a more serious note... Um, the Daily Wire reports about uh, this a few days ago. I don't know if you saw this this uh, this report in the Daily Wire about an awful propaganda video that was um, released late last week, and it features a radical feminist who's also the the founder of um, Shout Your Abortion, the move, the Shout Your Abortion movement, where women are encouraged to go and brag about their abortions. And this woman, her name is Amelia uh, Bonau. I, think, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Let's just say, let's just call her Bono. I th maybe it's Bono. Amelia Bono um, extolling the wonders of abortion to a group of children. Bono uh, sits with a, a series of visibly uncomfortable kids and she boasts to them about the time when she decided to kill her child. It really is just a chilling video in so many respects. And she's, she's sitting there you know, talking to these kids, actually describing the, quote, procedure in this overly childish and anti-scientific language, awkwardly kind of papering over the violent reality of what she's actually discussing. And this, by the way, is the same childish language that pro-abortion people use no matter who they're talking to. When they're talking to adults, they use this same kind of language. So it's not like she toned it down for kids. This is just how they talk about it. Um... She says that uh, when she's asked what abortion is like or what it involves, she says that abortion is sucking out the pregnancy with a, quote, straw. That's how she describes it. And um, she says that it's, it's important that women have this right because she should not be forced to create life, is how she phrases it. 
which of course is a total misnomer because by the time you're having the abortion, the life has already been created. If the life had not been created yet, then there'd be no reason for the abortion. Uh, abortion is specifically designed to kill a living thing. If there's no living thing to create or, or to kill, then uh, there's no need for an abortion. But if there is a living thing to kill, then that means that the living thing has already been created. Thus, abortion does not pr prevent the creation of new life. It destroys life that has already been created. There is, I think, a very... Um, that might seem grammatically very similar, but in actuality, those are vastly different things. So she... Um, She's sitting there, she's talking to these kids. She admits um, to the children that she chose to have sex with, without contraception. That's how she got pregnant before she got the abortion. And yes, she is sitting there talking to apparently middle school boys about why she had sex without a condom. So this is, this is the sexual harassment of children along with, with everything else. Um, but of the, of the kids that she's talking about, one rather astute, young man, speculates that maybe she was being reckless, that maybe her behavior is reckless. And this is this was um, her response to the charge of, of being reckless. This is what she says. I'm going to read it verbatim. She says, um, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't really say that I was being reckless. Mistakes happen. And, and sometimes you just don't do that in the moment. You know what I mean? And the boy says, I don't know which is the most apt response he, put a, he could have possibly come up with. But here's the most revealing part of the, um, of the segment. She attempts to compare abortion to a more legitimate kind of medical procedure, and this is what she says. She says, it was, it was like a crappy dentist appointment or something. It was just like, ah, this is like a body thing that's kind of uncomfortable. But then it was over, and I felt like really just grateful that I wasn't pregnant anymore. Let's, let's leave aside the fact that this video features an adult talking to children, yet somehow the latter group is by far the most eloquent and well-spoken. We'll leave that aside. The interesting thing is that she wants the kids and the rest of society to see abortion as nothing more than a crappy dentist appointment, is how she puts it. Yet, you'll notice something. She created a shout your abortion campaign. She did not create a shout your dental procedure campaign. And I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing that she's never filmed herself explaining root canals to 12-year-olds. So abortion is like a dentist appointment, she claims, but she only goes around frantically trying to justify abortions and not dentist appointments. Why is that? Well, I think the simplest explanation is probably the right one here. Feminists brag about their abortions and not their dental procedures because abortion is, and they know it, nothing at all like a dental procedure. They know it. For all their rhetoric, for all the euphemistic language, the papering over, the, uh, you know, the obfuscation, they know deep down that abortion is different. It is a different kind of thing. Abortion is serious. It is violent. It's dirty. It's shameful. They all know this. It doesn't really need to be explained to them. 
That's why they're constantly trying to explain the opposite, because they know the truth. And when they go around shouting their abortion to us or to kids, they're really shouting their abortions to themselves. That's the point of the shout your abortion movement. So if you were to watch this video, you could, in your mind, replace those children with mirrors and I think you'd get a better idea of the, of the psychology that's at play here. Um, these, you know, sh she is talking to herself. And these kids are just props. They're sounding boards and they're meant to sit there silently so that this woman can bounce her own thoughts back to herself. And that's why, that's why uh, you'll find that pro-abortion leftists, they like to use kids for these kinds of things. Number one, because kids are malleable and they're trying to brainwash them, but also because kids generally are just going to sit there and listen to whatever you're saying and accept it. And they don't want to be challenged. That's what they want. They just want a, a silent human to sit there and listen to them talk to themselves. But as she's trying to convince herself, you notice that She's not convincing herself. She isn't fooling herself. And she isn't fooling us. And she's barely even fooling the kids. That's how pathetic this all really is. So it's, I think there's a generally reliable rule here, okay? The rule is that if you are offering unsolicited justifications for a personal choice to people who did not ask for those justifications, that means that you are very far from comfortable with that, with that choice. If you're going around explaining to everyone why you did a certain thing, that means that you feel guilty or uncomfortable with having done that thing. I mean, think about it in your own life. Uh, even if you've never gotten an abortion, hopefully, um, any time that you've done something or made a choice and then you feel the need to bring it up to people and kind of like work, talk through your own reasoning for doing the thing, anytime you've done this because you know you're not actually comfortable with the choice that you made. And you're talking to yourself and you're also hoping that they will agree with you to make you feel, to, to, to reinforce um, you and your rationalizations. This is why, um, by the way, this is why feminists are always going around explaining, justifying their abortions, but you don't find parents going around justifying their decision to have kids. Have you noticed that? Now, parents will talk about parenting. Um, parents will complain about parenting, or they might proclaim the joys of parenting, but they aren't going to constantly defend the fact that they had kids in the first place. And that's because they know it was the right choice. They don't need to convince themselves. They don't need to convince you. And even when parenting is a challenge, it still kind of fits. It makes sense. It is, it's, it's, um, it is a completion. Um, it, you know, it's, it brings wholeness to their life. And so that makes the rightness of their decision to have kids, that makes it self-evident so they don't need to explain it. Um, except in very rare cases, uh, parents don't live in regret because of having kids. 
And thus, they don't feel the need to justify um, the fact that they have kids to anyone. Now, the opposite is true of abortion. And, and, and that, by the way, I think is one of the, the central truths about abortion that needs to be communicated to women, that abortion is, like suicide, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, so a woman who, you know, who, who decides to have an abortion or a woman who's pregnant, she, she might feel, she might feel overwhelmed, scared, anxiety written about, about having a child. Um, she might feel like it's going to interfere with her life, but the chances are very high that when she actually has the child, she will very, very quickly start to feel differently about the situation. It's still going to be challenging to be a parent. There's no question about that. Um, but very quickly, she'll find that whereas before she was unable to imagine life with a child, now she's unable to imagine life without her child. And that's and, and here's the thing about it. Um, if a woman decides to have a child, and it is one of those rare cases where she finds that it's not working, um, she finds that she really she can't care for the child, or whatever the case may be, then there's always adoption. That option is still ab- available. But if you choose death, if you choose abortion, if you choose death, then you're stuck with that choice forever, no matter, no matter the regret that you might feel afterwards. That is a permanent choice. It is a, a choice that cannot be undone. It's a choice that offers no additional roads. It's a dead end. It's a literal dead end. You make that choice and then that's it. Whereas if you choose life, then there are many different choices that spring from that choice. As a parent, you can go in many different directions. You can um, raise your child in many different ways. You can make many different kinds of choices for your family. Or there are, there are some parents who do end up putting their kids up for adoption. So that, that also is a choice that you can make. So all these choices are still there. There is this whole tree of choices, all these different branches sprouting. Whereas with abortion, it is just, it's a, you chop the tree down and you burn it and that's it. And that's why abortion leaves you feeling incomplete, empty, disjointed. It just doesn't feel right. It becomes this thing that you constantly need to explain to yourself. Which is why when you're, when you're listening to one of these abortion advocates, you could really remove all the exclamation points from their declarative sentences and replace them with question marks. And I think then you get a better idea. So when, uh, when this woman or someone else is shouting, abortion is good, abortion is right, I'm happy about my abortion. What they really mean is, abortion is good, abortion is right, I'm happy about my abortion. And then they reassure themselves, yes, 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 of course I'm happy. But they don't believe their own answer. So they just shout even louder, hoping to drown out that thought in the back of their head, that thought that tells them that this is all a lie, and they've done something terrible and permanent, and they can't undo it. That's the reality. That's why 
these shout your abortion campaigns exist. All right. One other thing I wanted to talk about briefly, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Let's talk about her for a minute. Unfortunately, uh, a video of the new Congresswoman went viral yesterday online. And it appears that the video was first found and posted by a right-wing account on Twitter uh, in an effort to mock Cortez. But the mocking attempt backfires big time um, because the video, it, all the video shows is, um, is Cortez apparently in college or maybe high school dancing on a rooftop with some of her friends. And she's, you know, not a bad dancer and seems like she's having a, a good time. It's kind of a fun, silly video that she made when she was a teenager. Um, the kind of video that only an absolute maniac would get angry about. And the video makes her seem more relatable, more likable. It's the kind of thing that you'd expect her camp to find and post, not her enemies. And, and maybe her camp did put it out there hoping to bait a few idiot right-wingers and, um, and, and they were successful in doing it. I don't know. But I emphasize a few here because um, I, I saw, in addition to the account that posted the video originally, I only saw a few conservatives on social media trying to attack Cortez over the footage. The vast majority of people on the left and right were defending her. They were saying the video is fine. It's a fun video, whatever. Um, so it's not true, as the media is reporting today, that conservatives in general were angry about her dancing or were mocking her for it. A few were, just a few, uh, from what I can tell. Only a few. However, it is true that conservatives in general, not all but many, have been, maybe not with this video, but they have been rather obsessed with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez over the past year or so. Uh, they have jumped on many opportunities to mock her. They have been fixated on her. Uh, they've been talking about her even more often than liberals do. And I've made this point before because foolish people on either side of the aisle, they tend to make stars out of people on the opposing side. So liberal liberals made a star out of Donald Trump by their obsession with him. If the media and liberals in general weren't so obsessed with Donald Trump during the campaign, especially during the primary, then Donald Trump probably would not be president today. But right-wingers can tend to do the same kind of thing. Uh, they were obsessed with David Hogg, and now they're obsessed with Cortez. And in that obsession, they helped both of those people to achieve levels of fame and notoriety that they otherwise would, would not have achieved especially with Cortez. Now, I know you might say, well, but she's a socialist and she's, she's dangerous. She's in, she's in a position of power now. So we, we have to engage with her ideas. We can't ignore her. Well, okay, but two things here. Number one, she's one of 435 members of the House of Representatives. She has very, very little actual individual power. And, and whatever power she has in her own district well, it's a liberal district. It would have been a Democrat there anyway. She doesn't have any more actual, legal, real power than any of the other 435. And none of them individually have much power at all. The power that she has is in her popularity, in her fame, in her influence on the culture. But 
You only increase that power by increasing her popularity and fame when you talk about her. So the best thing that the right could have done with this woman from the very beginning is just ignore her. Number two, yeah, we should engage socialist ideas. We need to be able to do that. But, but let's be honest about this. Conservatives haven't really been engaging her ideas, per se. You know, some of them have, but for the most part, that's not what's happening here. We have just been relentlessly mocking her as a person. And, and I've done it, too, on occasion. Not nearly as often as a lot of other people, but, uh, I mean, she didn't know the branches of government. How can you not mock that? It's just, it's impossible not to. But when I mocked that thing, I knew that I was just preaching to the choir. I wasn't doing anything fruitful or helpful, really. I was just laughing because it was funny and I couldn't help myself. Generally, though, um, the personal mockery of this woman is not an effective strategy. As I said, yeah, when someone doesn't know the branches of government and they're in the government, I mean, you have to make fun of that. What else are you going to do? But in general, this obsession just, it has, it has, it has not worked out for, for Republicans, for the right. Uh, it obviously has not worked to decrease her popularity. It has done the opposite. Why is that? Well, I think because, um, well, for one thing, people on the other side are just going to coalesce even more around their guy or their girl when they perceive that unfair personal attacks are being launched at them. But more to the point here, like it or not, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is likable. Okay. Now you might not like her. You might disagree with her, which by the way, those two things don't need to go hand in hand, not liking her and disagreeing with her. But you know, and I disagree with her certainly. Um, but she is likable, objectively speaking. She is, uh, she just is, uh, she, she comes across like a relatively normal 25 year old woman or 29 year old woman who is, uh, really super stoked to be in Congress. And it all seems pretty genuine and pretty human and people are attracted to that. They, they are. So when you're dealing with an opponent who is likable, you can't go scorched earth against them because if you come off like a bully or like a jealous nerd, which is how I think Republicans often come off when it comes to, to this woman. Not even like bullies, but even worse than that, they come off like they're like jealous nerds in high school. Um, and when you do that, you're only going to make them more likable. So even putting the ethics and the morality of it aside, political strategy-wise, heaping mockery and scorn on a likable person is bad strategy. It's very bad. You make them more likable and yourself less when you do that. Um, this is a lesson that, that Donald Trump needs to learn before 2020 because he's had enormous success going scorched earth against opponents who were already fairly unlikable or extremely unlikable. Clinton, obviously, is a prime example. Clinton is a very unlikable person, so it really didn't matter what Donald Trump said about her. He could say whatever he wanted. And even in the primaries, I mean, Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, Kasich, um, these guys are not what you would call extremely relatable or likable politicians. I supported Cruz. I still do. But he's, he, you, you're fooling yourself if you call him likable. He's not, he's not a likable guy. 
Um, so Trump just ripped them to pieces and it worked because he was kind of highlighting the unlikable aspects of their personality. That, that, that's part of the, the nicknames and stuff that he does. That's one of the reasons why that was effective is because he's, he's homing in on the most unlikable parts of them and highlighting. And that's, and that's the point. But if he faces someone like, like, um, O'Rourke in 2020, a guy who, however you feel about him is certainly likable. And if he tries to treat Beto like he treated Clinton or Cruz, it will absolutely backfire. Look at what Republicans did in the campaign against, um, you know, in the campaign in Texas, the one that Beto almost won. They posted pictures, this is what Republicans did, they, they posted pictures of, 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 um, of O'Rourke from his punk rock days in the 90s, and they mocked him for it. And then what happened? It backfired because the pictures just made him look cooler and more likable. People looked at that and said, they said, oh, he was in a band? Awesome. That's the thing. Normal people think that bands are cool. It's, it's cool if you were in a band when you were, uh, when you were younger. That, that's how normal people react to that. A normal person isn't going to say, oh, you were in a band when you were younger? Dork. That's No, that's, that's not what normal people do. Normal people think, oh, that's cool. I mean, I'd like to get a beer with that guy and talk about his experience in a punk rock band. He probably has some stories to tell. It's probably pretty interesting. That's what normal people think. So again, it only makes him more likable and you less. The same thing happens on the other side. Um, the new congressman, Dan Crenshaw, very likable guy. And that's why, think about this, SNL, they, make, they mock Republicans all the time uh, in ways that are just vicious. I mean, think about all the, the mocking of Donald Trump. Alec Baldwin's uh, caricature of Trump is, is mean and mean-spirited and vicious. And they do that to Republicans all the time. Yet they mocked Crenshaw, just one kind of throwaway line, and the next week they had to have him on, they had to have him on the show to apologize to him in person. And why is that? Well, of course, he's a veteran and they were and the, the joke that they made was horrible. So that obviously is part of it. But also the guy is likable and relatable, so people just like him. He seems like a decent guy. And so when you make fun of him, people say, Well, what are you doing? Back off. What did that guy ever do to you? Nikki Haley, I think, is another one uh, that's also in this camp, a, a naturally likable politician. You know who else I would put in this category that may surprise you? Mike Pence. Now, Pence is likable in a different kind of way. Uh, I'm not sure if he comes off as relatable necessarily, and he definitely doesn't come off as cool, but he does come off, he seems like a decent, friendly, Mr. Rogers kind of guy. And I mean that with no disrespect to Mr. Rogers, who was a decent, friendly, good guy, right? Um, and now, whether or not he actually is those things, I don't know. I, I don't know him personally, but that's how he comes across. That's how it seems. And so leftists, they've made fools of themselves over the last few years when they're constantly mocking Mike Pence. They come off looking like lunatics and jerks. Uh, and he comes off looking like a decent guy who isn't going to get down in the mud with the pigs. Think about it. The left has taken how many shots at Mike Pence over the last two years, two, three years, and how many of those shots have landed? How many of them have failed to backfire? 
That's because he seems decent, likable. Maybe decent in his case is a better word than likable, but whatever. Either way, mockery is not effective against likable and or decent seeming opponents. Now, of course, there aren't very many of those types in politics today, and most are so viscerally unlikable that it's comical, like Warren. You can make fun of Elizabeth Warren all you want, uh, because she just, she, like Clinton, it's just, it's, it's, you, you listen to her talk for five seconds and you don't like her. Doesn't matter, politics aside, you just don't like her. That's how she comes across. Now, it, we could have a different conversation someday about um, why it is that those types of people seem to always win campaigns. But that's how it is. And if you're facing somebody, if you're dealing with someone like that, Elizabeth Warren with her uh, with her beer drinking video, yeah, make fun of that all day. It's hilarious. She's unlikable. It's an unlikable thing that she did. It's cynical and just weird and disingenuous and fine. Heap mockery on that. That's what it deserves. But somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, it's just not working. So I think... If you're an opponent of hers, if you don't like her, best strategy is mostly to ignore her and let her do her thing. And when she comes out with a proposal or with ideas or with legislation or whatever that's that's bad, then you engage with the legislation, you engage with the ideas, and you have that argument on an intellectual level. Um, that's the best way to engage with people in general. But strategy-wise, it's really the only way to engage with likable people. All right. Um, we'll leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week. Godspeed. Coming up on The Ben Shapiro Show, Nancy Pelosi is sworn in as Speaker of the House. The far left makes its policy pitch, and the shutdown continues. That's coming up on The Ben Shapiro Show.